to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, the man from the West, Johnny Fatty, in the house. They can't hear you, John. We're going to talk about a couple of games, about shares and companies that you may not want to necessarily have shares in, getting dumped on you, or staying in way too long, drawing, awkward glances. Stay tuned. That's John finishing our intro, or just keep going. That was going, catchy. What was that? <clears throat> uh, Running Meredith by Shadowy Men from a Shadowy Planet, the uh, legendary surf rock group Whoa. from Canada, Toronto, cool. Ontario. This is Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, at least for the moment. Uh, by the way, if anyone knows anyone who wants to buy um, a mixing board, uh, I think three of them, a uh, bunch of mics, some of them work, some of them don't, oh. uh, and a radio station, oh. <laughs> please call in too. Uh, whatever. Now, where's the number? Is that a complete package, or can I buy pieces of that? Uh, no. No, gotta buy it all. And also, you have to show up with a truck because we're, okay. we're not dropping it off. Throwing in a game cafe for free. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a good deal. Now that I'm talking. Uh, this is. Uh, you can listen to us online at uh, cfru.ca or on on any of the good podcasting websites. None of the bad ones because we don't want to be associated with those ones. Um, and you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Well, Facebook is the Wealth Board Gaming Group, but it's kind of... We don't shill Android Dungeon on there ever, do we? We should just... just Link every episode? You should <laughs> spam them. rename it, it to the Android Dungeon Presents. <laughs> Wealth Board Gaming Group. Yeah. Be greasy, but yeah, uh, real greasy. I think we get away with it. I think you could. I, um, yeah. Where are these guys... Sorry to get off no, topic no, no, already. Okay. Where are these guys surfing in Toronto? That's what I want to know. Lake like Ontario. Rock, surf rock band. Well, it gets wavy on Lake Ontario. Queen's Key, man. Back before that, it was full of all those rich people boats. Do people actually surf there? No. I've never seen it myself. <laughs> they might. I mean, pro- prove a negative, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> Call them up. Get them on the show. <clears throat> uh, we are joined this week by a friend of the show, now double confirmed? Or is, is yeah, this your second time? Yeah, my second time. Yeah, so we know he's not totally faking at this point. Three more and I get a free coffee. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that. Mm. <laughs> things are tough. Oh, Maybe no. a mug. Things are tough everywhere. Maybe a mug? Yeah. Things Ooh. Are, mm, let's definitely not promise mugs. <laughs> uh, Jonathan. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? I'm all right. Joel? We're on the show. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice, relaxing Thursday afternoon, 5, 1 o'clock. Yeah, it's about 1 o'clock on it's Thursday. About 1 o'clock on There's Thursday. definitely that not tons correct. of snow yes. that fell on the weekend. Got to get back to work, guys. Let's wrap it up. I know. I'm, I am a long ways away from where I should be. Yeah, you got to get back to work. On a Thursday. <laughs> Someone's going to be wondering where you are. <laughs> Somebody's got to make them lattes. John, what have you been playing recently? Uh, so I recently played a number of games, actually. Uh, just this Saturday, I played a bunch of games, actually, with uh, with the man himself, Joel. And you showed up at one point, too, Jack. Uh, played some Chicago Express 
and some Pictomania. Those are brand new. Good time. Pictomania. Played Rhino Hero again and actually quite enjoyed it, despite thinking I wouldn't. Uh, some Dark Moon, some Coup. Holy smokes. Yeah, it was it was a good day. <clears throat> All right, well, let's start with the big one that um, it's been brought up, I think, it's whispered about on the show. Not because it's legendary, it's just more that, oh, yeah, it exists. Uh, Chicago Express. Joel and John, I want you to talk about what it was like. And just do a brief overview first. Chicago Express is the 2009, 2009 Golden Geek Award winner game of the year. It's a train game. <clears throat> That's right. It's it's a gateway game to the 18xx genre, which I've always wanted to crack into. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it doesn't have a year associated with it, but we can assume it's at some time in probably, 1800s. Yeah, I was going to say around 1830 or something. So. You build trains. One of my favorite things. <laughs> one of my favorite things about the game is that it is uh, heavily supported by Clearclaw, and you can see a lot of Clearclaw's opinions about it on Board Game Geek. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> <laughs> so a quick, a quick uh, breakdown. Clearclaw is someone we've talked about on the show once or twice, and a he's legend. this fellow who is in, in, the, in the, 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 the train game 18xx community. He is a legend um, that Ooh. I think he's in the Oakland board gaming group in uh, Southern California. Is that SoCal? Yeah. And he is known for being very particular about his games. About and how his he wants train games? He loves what, what was these, the title they gave him? I forget the title. Fun Killer. Oh, the Fun Killer. Uh, I was hoping it'd be something like the Master Conductor. No, or something. I, that's too. That's too frilly for Shining table. Station. Style <laughs> Shiny stuff. Time Station. Yeah, like there schemer. you go. Yeah. Anyway, so he's he uh, he loves uh, uh, Chicago Express and mm -hmm. he loves these other train games, and but he's very particular on how the games are meant to be played. And Joel linked something uh, recently about it too, where he's just talking about how. Uh, he won't play. Well, he's famous for not playing with new people because he mm. considers them to be utterly random, and they throw off the balance of the game. But it's one of these sort of fallacies. Is like, oh, yeah. like you're, everyone's new at some point, so who's going to play with you if everyone kind of sticks with this? He uh, sits out the first round and well, watches you flounder, yeah. and then he's like, all right, now I will play. Well, with he's kind of like the, the the big boss of the dojo. You don't just Ooh. show up and challenge the the master of the no. dojo. You have to work Very your way disrespectful. up. It's extremely disrespectful. So it's, disrespectful. It's insulting. You gotta mm -hmm. walk through the Pokemon gym, and exactly. all these people are gonna say, hey, and challenge you. And they throw their stinky little Pokemon at you, and you yeah. fight them. And then and you got to walk back and heal, and then come back again. It's exhausting. Anyway, so that's Clearclaw. So anyway, <laughs> about Chicago Express. How does the game work? Uh, so it was really cool to jump into a genre. I wouldn't say it's an entire genre that I haven't touched, but it's definitely an idea of a game that I haven't touched. And that is, you are sitting around the table... Um, distant from the game you have no mm -hmm. presence on the map you have no pieces on the map you don't own anything except for the cash that you're given at the start and then you're going to throw that cash at companies and hope that their profits end up being valuable enough for you to make the most money and whoever makes the most wins yep. the game it's a good old-fashioned capitalist game all that really matters at the end is how much money you have and so then you're just doing whatever it takes throughout the game to ensure that your investments pay off the most. Ah. So this game sets up five train companies, all starting on the east, trying to head west to Chicago, and the you have to go spot. through. Yeah, you have to go through some mountains and some forests, and there's a bunch of other cities you can link up along the way, all of which will increase the value of the company, mm -hmm. increase the value of the train line, which hopefully you have some stocks in, which you can also 
bid on. So what, what John has just mentioned here is the one of the, the defining aspects of the, the sort of the train game genre, which is generally speaking a heavier economic simulation because most games, it's your money is your money. That's it. You do what you ever you want with this. Whereas with a lot of these types of games is that you have to keep two separate stacks of cash going at all times because the money that the train company generates, it's either kept in the company coffers, which allows them to buy and expand its operations, or you pay out dividends, and that money that would have gone to the company is now going out to the people who own shares in the company. So you have to be very careful, because if you're being too, like, throwing out cash, all of a sudden your train company can't go anywhere, and it's in trouble, and you've got a sinking company, and uh-oh, who has the most share? Sorry, I'm getting off of myself here, but <laughs> yeah. anyway. All right, so th that takes, this takes a, lot, a bit of that uh, analysis paralysis away from you, and that you'll always get dividends and anything that you bid on the company is what the company has to spend. So I think it's a very distilled and simplified version of, of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, Jack and I and Jack, have you played an 18xx game? No, not yet. None of us have played <laughs> these games, but this is a start, right? And this is what something I was looking for for this year is to move into this genre and I think that this is a perfect start, and I can't wait to play Chicago Express with Jack because I know he's going to love it. I <clears throat> really loved the game. I think that uh, a couple people were skeptical right from the introduction. It's mm -hmm. not the most exciting. Uh, did, did, it, there was a bit of a learning curve, and it's it's weird definitely to be entering into a game where you, like you said, Joel, you have no presence on the board. It takes a bit of a a bit of time to sort of reconcile that and figure out what style of game it is. Because when you look at it, like my initial expectation was very similar to Ticket to Ride. You're building trains and building lines of trains and getting value from that. But it is very different. Like it's the same as Ticket to Ride in like aesthetic only. Yeah. Well, yeah, even I, then, it's uh, Ticket to Ride, you could argue, could be is like a, a spawn of these types of mm -hmm. games. So I guarantee if you pushed Alan Moon, it's like, hey, nerd, do you like <laughs> train games? Yeah, I love 18xx. I knew it. So I that's, knew that's, it. so much sense. And then you beat him up. <laughs> well, you take his lunch money, obviously. Well, this game was yeah. Harry. Shares. This take game his was, lunch shares? Yeah. Harry Wu. And yeah. he did a great job. Um, I looked up a couple of those games. Um, really, mostly just focused on this and uh, some of the war games. Um, mm -hmm. But how something else? Not like, a very well-known guy. Something else about uh, Chicago Express that's interesting is the way actions are selected is is unique in that it's not like you always have the options present to you at all times mm -hmm. to do these things. You have on the side here, you have these these steam gauges essentially, and as you take the actions, the gauges so move. So eighteen hexes. And then <laughs> and then as they move over, I think eventually what is, what resets them all? Because after a certain point, you can't take certain actions again. Yeah. So I think you, when you pay dividends, it goes. You resets. have so you have three actions that you can choose to do throughout the game based on their availability you can use money within the the company that you have shares in to add trains yeah. to a line uh you can add buildings to somewhere on a line that is part of a company's train line that you mm -hmm. have a share in or you can bid on more shares for any company right uh, and each time anyone does one of those actions that steam gauge goes up and should one of those steam gauges get too high that action is no longer available until two of the steam gauges oh, is, yeah. hit that peak and then everything resets and you yeah. get dividends and the game continues. Yeah, and one of the strategies apparently is to hold like empty actions or empty auctions mm -hmm. of stuff because you just want to wreck other people's opportunities to do it. So you just like purposely drive things up and stop others. Yeah, from I was mm -hmm. thinking about that because nobody actually did that action. Yeah, it was very interesting to see in, in the game that we played uh, where almost... 
almost right from the start, everyone sort of latched onto their own line right. and more or less just did their own just thing. Just improved the line. And, and I don't, I'm wondering if, if I say this now, if I might ruin Joel's opinion of this game, <laughs> which makes me want to say it more. I got <laughs> a very heavy feel of Bonanza from what? the game because oh, no. there's a ton of like, what's what's the word on like over overarching strategy and bartering that goes on oh, like i, I spent a lot of the game ironically i lost horribly is that ironic potentially <laughs> uh but i lost uh but i spent most of the game bartering with both joel and sam who i shared lines with yeah. getting them to spend their turns increasing the value which just benefited me as well yeah and i tended to have more shares in both so I spent my turns increasing my own, and then also convincing them to do stuff for me. Mm -hmm. But I still ended up losing. But that gave me a very much like it's a sort of a bonanza feel where it's not it's not pure strategy. You've got to interact. Well, there's with, a social with other players. Yeah, there's a social element. Maybe some begging and cajoling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the most confusing part for me is that every time you buy a share, the value is divided by the number of shares. Mm -hmm. So every time a share is added, if you're not if you don't already <clears throat> have that share, you're actually losing money. So anytime somebody starts the bid you gotta sweat and be like okay well i'm the exclusive shareholder of, of this color yellow mm -hmm. or whatever um if somebody throws a share of that out i'm going to get half as much money unless i win the bid mm. but that was another part too is that seth who i guess in the end ended up having the most cash and winning yeah. the game but he was saying that he felt like he had there was only one strategy of the game which was to just buy all the shares of like the four share line and just the, like, the most valuable share with or the most valuable line with the least number of shares he had a majority control and yeah. then he only increased the value of that company throughout the game that was right. his only strategy so it, it goes to show that like obviously chicago express is one of these sorry john one of these um it is a it's a very simple mechanical mm. game like when you actually look at what's going on there's very there's very few moving pieces but when you look at it strategically and also economically, your mind starts to race a little bit. And there's a lot of room to be ruthless with, uh, just because, for example, like when Seth was mentioning that that's all he did was he built up this excellently profitable company. It's like, well, why didn't anyone else just cut you off with their lines or? No uh, one, yeah, no one, no one thought to do that. <clears throat> and as a one-third shareholder, I'm also guilty of uh, yeah, ex Joel, extending Joel's, his lines as so well. So I have the scores actually for final cash. Oh, nice. Uh, I I ended up the game with seventy dollars, okay, which was the lowest. Joel had seventy one, Sam was eighty four, and Seth was eighty six. So it was all really close yeah. in general. But yeah, to to what Joel was sort of hinting at there, Joel's one. I don't know if it was your strategy, but you ended up having shares in almost every line, which seems based on the results to have been a poor strategy. Well, it's because just... you didn't have a majority share anywhere, so you were making a bit of money, but. Well, that's, and that's something else, too, is that whoever, and then I might be mixing these up, but I thought only the majority shareholder can actually choose to do certain line uh, advances, or is, am so I this getting this one's a bit simpler. Any shareholder can do the actions. Oh, anyone can do that. Mm -hmm. so. As long as you have a share. Yeah. Well, as long as you have to have at least some presence in the company. Yeah, yeah we, we like, argued that at one point, because Seth was debating whether or not he should increase the value of another line, just because there seemed to be nothing good for his line, uh -huh. and we sort of looked at it and like, yeah, you could, but... Why would you? Right. And that's one another big distinction between, let's say, 1846, 1830, and so on, is that you, you whoever is the company president, president, which is the person who owns the most shares in the company, they're the only ones who make the decision for the company. Mm. So whether that's laying track 
uh, buying stuff, uh, selling. Anyone can sell their shares, but mm -hmm. basically the president gets all the control over it. And that's hmm. where, and when you have certain games like 1830, which have the stock market really strong in there, you get to some shenanigans where the company president maybe makes some moves that destroy the company, but they sell off all their shares, and all of a sudden Joel's the president of this failing company, <laughs> and he's thinking, "Oh no, <laughs> there's no money to buy trains, and I'm screwed." It's yeah. sounds amazing. Well, you know what Seth should do if he thinks he's figured out the game after one play, is he should <laughs> post it online to Board Game Geek and, uh, and say, "Hey, Clearclaw, yeah, you should I challenge him." One on one, see what Chicago says. Express. But it is something that like people will say, like it, for a game that appears fairly light and it's a queen game, so I think it flies under a lot of radars because queen games isn't known necessarily for. I, I think it's just they their boxes are so unremarkable, maybe, and yeah. they, there's so many of them that you just kind of mm. go, eh, whatever. But it's like on a lot of ten out of ten. Like if yeah. you scroll through Board Game Geek, there are tons of ten out of tens for Chicago Express. Definitely recommend it. I give it uh, four uh, burgeoning. Um, railroad companies. Railroad companies out of six. Uh, so no Wabash. No Wabash. It doesn't no earn the Wabash. <laughs> and definitely go out and play it if you get the chance. It's usually, You can pick it up on sale kind of frequently. These Queen games, I feel mm -hmm. like they have their fire sales uh, occasionally. But it's a lot of... I think if you rush it and bought it right now, it's oddly expensive for what you're actually getting. But that's just me. All right. How's the run, Jack? The... Sekiro? Oh, Sekiro. You done it? No, God, no. Uh, Sekiro remains very tricky, but I feel like I, I'm getting the hang of it. John, do you know what Sekiro is? I have seen images and GIFs the on memes. the internet. Yeah, it's uh, the new From Software game. It's uh, it occurred to me. Uh, I had a couple revelations about it. One was watching a video that uh, by he's kind of infamous in the, the the Dark Souls community, Vadi Video, and he's famous for either ripping off people on uh, image boards who have posted stuff and he just kind of says it verbatim as if it's his and hmm. B, coming up with these dumb theories that are so bad and like delivered in this very emotional, slow tale of hmm. woe and sadness. It's like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> but anyway, I, I didn't mind his video. I don't have anything personal against the guy, but he is kind of infamous. But he had a video I watched and he described Sekiro as secretly a rhythm game which you think like something like Guitar Hero or something Donkey like that. Donkey Kong yeah. Jungle Beat. Donkey Kong Jungle Rock Beat. Rock Band. Rock Band. I've seen, I think somebody beat, uh, or some, there's some absurd game where somebody was using the Donkey Kong drums That's to Donkey beat Kong it. Jungle Beat, baby. Something like that. But anyway, uh, same, it was a rhythm game because the, the game is just, uh, encourages you to get the timing of these combos down. So you have to like watch what they do and you kind of one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one. And you have to kind mm -hmm. of time your blocks properly. And once you figure that out, the game just kind of expands that you're mm. now you're really paying attention to combos you're you're because anything if you do it properly minus a couple of certain attacks you block it and if you do it properly you take very little posture damage and the enemy takes a bunch and then super satisfyingly is when they do these giant combos you go ting 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 you block them all oh. and then they suddenly are knocked prone because they expend mm. all their energy you just go and shank them in the neck and it feels fabulous mm. but like have you achieved this no uh, once or twice. It's it's very difficult. But the neat thing about the game is that it's a mix. I think it's this bizarre mix between Bloodborne and Dark Souls and that Bloodborne had no shield and you're encouraged to roll around like crazy and you have tons of stamina and you're just supposed to be a tough guy. Uh, Dark Souls, a lot of people complain, it's just you put up a shield and as long as you're not a goof, you can get through the entire game with it. In this one, you're encouraged to use your shield because you can basically just hold your sword up and it blocks anything. Hmm. Um, but if you keep doing that, you're not going to get anywhere. 
and, but it encourages you to time your blocks perfectly, going back to the rhythm thing. So once you fuse these two concepts together and you avoid trying to dodge everything like you would in Dark Souls or Bloodborne, the game becomes, it makes more sense. Hmm. Uh, but it's very, it's, it's so difficult. It's, I'm still learning completely, but it's still excellent. I like it. Sounds awesome. Uh, Joel, you talked about playing, well, John talked about playing Rhino Hero and uh, Dark Moon. It was a Dark Moon. Dark Moon's always a great game. Um, I'll bring it out any chance I get. You know, it's if you've played Avalon, if you've played uh, what's the the Resistance? The Resistance. Yeah. Um, what's another one? Secret Hitler, I guess. Secret is Hitler. Very yeah. yeah. It's it's basically that game, um, but uh, expanded with you know you instead of just yes or straight yes or no answers, you actually do stuff. So you're mm -hmm. rolling dice secretly behind a screen to help the team accomplish goals. But yeah. you can just say, ah, sorry guys, I got bad rolls and submit negatives. Um, and people may or may not believe you. Yeah. And if they don't believe you, they'll <laughs> put you in quarantine, right, John? <laughs> yep, there, there's definitely, there's there's much more of a random element to the game, which adds to the, the layers of suspicion and right. distrust that builds between players. Because in those other games, your resistances, your Avalons, your secret Hitlers, if you're a bad guy, you have complete control over whether or not you're going to do a bad thing or pretend to be good. And if you're a good guy, you're only ever going to do a good thing. Mm -hmm. In this game, there's plenty of opportunities and plenty of chances where both the, the bad guy may accidentally do a good thing or lie and say that they could only do a bad thing. But the good people as well kind of get screwed every now and then. And just based on the luck of the role, you can only hurt your team and then your credibility is shot. Yeah. And in my case, you are quarantined almost immediately <laughs> every game. Every game, no matter what. You just made quarantine, it through John. most of this game without I'm, being quarantined. I, this one was extra frustrating for me because I actually turned out to be infected. Yeah. Uh, I was not infected the first go around, but then someone, uh, our two friends, Sam and Mark, sort of... Sam figured him out. Subconsciously, <laughs> unconsciously out. understood exactly who the that other is. person was, and so we had to redraw. And yeah. then I got to be infected... And I escaped quarantine. How do you escape quarantine? You get voted out. So you're voted into quarantine, yeah. and then same process at any oh, time. You can I say, see. okay, I'm clearly so good. Like I've, I've done enough to prove that I shouldn't be here. I was released, and then I, I threw away my opportunity to just at that point reveal as infected and actually get to do the special stuff the infected do yeah. and ended up getting quarantined again. You have this crazy scenario where every single vote <clears throat> to put somebody in or out was a tie. Yeah. Which is great for me because mm -hmm. as the commander, you yeah. make the decision once a tie is made as to you break the tie. Yeah. So for people who don't know, Dark Moon, and there's an expansion. I'm surprised you haven't picked it up yet, Joel. Ooh. Really? Yeah. The yeah. Dark Moon has um, is basically a, a version of Battlestar Galactica, the board game, except streamlined because Battlestar Galactica is infamous for being like a four or five hour long game. Yep. And some people love it. I think Tyler, who uh, has played Mega Civ with us uh, once and played Advanced Civ and stuff, he loves Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. So instead um, of the infected, it's the Cylons. The Cylons, exactly. And the but it's in typical Final F uh, Fantasy Flight games. There's tons of bloat to it, and I just get mm, scared bloat. a lot of times when I think yeah. about it because I think, oh my God, Twilight Imperium is gigantic. All these games are too big. <laughs> so people said the same thing, and they took Dark Moon and they said, okay, the same principles apply. Everyone is assigned a, a role. Most people are uninfected, as in human, and a couple of people, depending on the player count, are going to be actually Cylons or infected. And what everyone has to do is you have a bunch of problems across the station that need immediate fixing. 
And so everyone has a pool of dice that, like Joel was saying before, you roll behind a screen, and then you get to assign them. And the dice can vary from, like, plus three. They're black dice, which are generally better. Mm -hmm. Is that how it works? So, yeah. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. And so you're rolling these, but nobody can see what you've actually rolled, but you assign dice Mm -hmm. out in front of your mat. And maybe, and this is something I was just thinking about, is, like, my whole issue with Secret Hitler was one of the most annoying things is that it was this, sometimes fate was against you, and you could theoretically be given three liberal motions or three fascist motions which are the complete opposite of what you're trying to go for yeah. and there's you even if you were a fascist you have to pass a liberal and even if you're a liberal you have to pass the fascist mm-hmm. uh, in similar sense dark moon puts you slightly in those positions where you can roll these and you all have negatives so it's up to you to convince your team that mm-hmm. i'm sorry i had no choice mm-hmm. i'm just yeah, not mm-hmm. that good at repairing the shield generator or something along those lines <laughs> yeah that's when but it's when you keep dumping negatives and yep. uh, and the game makes sure that that is the case because each dice there it's Two-thirds are negative values. Oh, on, on all of them? On all of them, yeah. yeah. So, oh, okay. so it's interesting. I noticed that this time around. Like, everyone says that the black dice are better. The only in- importance to the black dice is the positive values are higher. And are the There's the same lower, number. Or? Nope. The, the negative values for both red and black dice, which are your standard dice, are the two types in this game. Yeah. They're the same. Uh, and then the positive values, both dice only have two positives. Mm-hmm. But the negative or the red ones are a three and a one, yeah. and the black dice are a two and a four. Yeah. So yeah, the only the benefit, like what I what I sort of deduced in this game was that if you were a good person, you would really only want one red dice for the purposes of voting because right. you also use the red and the black dice to, to vote say John yay or quarantine. nay to put me in quarantine. <laughs> Beyond that, you should just be having all black dice because you want to get positive values. The odds are the same, but, so you might as well get the higher values. But isn't the way the game works, though, and it's been a little bit since I played it, though, but once you've committed dice, you can't get them back until after you've like basically sat out a... Yeah. Or, it's, or if or it comes or around if you're, to your turn yeah, again. If you cycle around to your turn, you get all oh, of you your dice back there. to start. But that's exactly right. If you're use, If you're spending your dice in a number of problems that need to be fixed you're going to run out of dice uh, so one of the things you can also do in this game before getting to the rolling of the dice is you say whether or not you are going to be in or out on this problem solving so if you're mission. saying like oh i've used up all my dice i only got red ones left it's not yeah. guys i gotta sit this one out i need to rest and yeah. then yeah, then hopefully... then you get as a re- reward in quotations uh for that you get two dice back so oh, that okay. on the next mission Theoretically, so you, you, can, on you can get in there and help. It's a classic good guy move. I'm out on this one, guys, because I don't want to hurt us. Yeah, as <laughs> opposed to... I'm down to two Ready dice. I'm not going to yep. make any risks yeah. that's going to mess up the mission. Yeah. Anyway, um, do you... You guys have played the this... Joel, I know, has played this game. How many times do you think? 30? Oh, yeah, somewhere around nice. that. How many times do you think you played it, John? Probably close to 10. Wow, that's pretty yeah. good. I think I'm probably Joel about half every a dozen. Time. Well, Joel's the only one who has He's it. He's the only one who owns it. Well, it's huge back home. In fact... And it's funny you talk about um, Star Galactica because it says BSG Express on the box. Does it really? Because they mm-hmm. recognize that it is oh. a custom game yeah, yeah. that was built off BSG that they're now selling as a standalone. It's yeah. like Dota, you know? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, the I now remember when you talk about this expansion because uh, the game shop back home, Dave's, has about seven copies of this because they play-tested Dark Moon and they play tested the expansion. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So d- is it because he knew somebody, or it was just that? Yeah, team? they just no. I remember what it was. Um, <laughs> you, people that record their plays on Board Game Geek. Yeah. These guys had uh... so much more than anybody else in the world. <laughs> 
that they said, okay, you guys, yeah, obviously, you guys you've got like 180 yeah. plays, you're going to do the playtesting. So there is a value to recording things on Board Game Geek. It's just such a lot of work. The board game companies <laughs> are watching, Jack. They might. You never you want know. Those, you want those freebies. Yeah, We've both got Start those. lying on the start internet. <laughs> yeah, I played about 300 times. I played about times. 500 times. They so. haven't been great, but we've got we've both got responses from 999 games from... Uh, yeah, negative uh, questions. One of them was perfectly fine, and then a couple of mine were just borderline. Uh, I think I would say rude is being generous Ooh, and rude. snarky to, uh, if at worst. But uh, it, they could just be Dutch, so it's difficult to understand what uh, their intentions are. Is yeah, we we tend to come across being a Dutchman. We I'll tend to the... come across as more holic than <laughs> than intended. Well, it's just just a, a bluntness to us. Well, I think that's it. Same thing as the Germans, and yeah. some of these guys are just like. There's no efficiency in politeness. Well, it's it's like the, when I was in Korea, we um, he was a Dutchman and he was an engineer who's uh, who would always hang out at the same bar. We all like to drink. A lovely guy, uh, Martin, I think. And he was super nice, but he had a way of talking that like he's joking, having a good time, but he was very direct with mm. his his statements. It's hard like, hitting blows. Man, <laughs> could you soften it a little <laughs> bit? <laughs> I do not like this. Yeah. All right. So speaking of uh, Dutchman. We're going to play a song uh, recommended by one. Hey! And we'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was uh, Liz Tomania. Liz Tomania. Liz Liz I don't know if it's a reference to, um, it's a sequel to the uh, documentary Michael Keaton starred in called Multiplicity, in which he clones himself. In this case, the sequel is which the, the lead singer's girlfriend, Liz, um, he gets a strand of her hair and he clones her into 20 different Liz's, but they start cloning each other and it gets out of control, like in that Mickey Mouse uh, Fantasia short. Mm-hmm. It's Listomania. It's Listomania. And the cover's him, like, with his hands up in the air, like, looking, oh no, what am I going to do? And there's all these Liz's behind him. <laughs> and they're, <laughs> they're all wearing different colored outfits. Different colored outfits. And he's like, boy, if only I wasn't the singer of a pop band, uh, I'd be able to manage this situation. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what this song is old from. You don't know what it's about. Two thousand nine. I about tell Pictomania. you, it's is about Liz Tomania, which uh, apparently was a known phenomenon with the composer from whenever. I don't know much about Franz Liszt. <laughs> Liszt. Uh, that sounds certain. Liz- I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Liz Tomania was actually something a term that was used because of how crazy the crowds would get for his music and for him Franz Liszt. Yeah. Franz Liszt. Can you imagine that in uh, what year is this fellow? Yeah, 1844. He, he was a handsome the looking Justin guy, Bieber though, so. of of his day. Popularity. Like he had people just like trampling each no. other. Women in their giant dresses, just like bashing each other, getting trying to get a lock of his hair, his beautiful hair. Piano lessons, age of seven. Talented musician, piano, violin, cello, guitar. Uh, he he hadn't hung out with Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the like one of these old like 1844 pop group. Of some yeah, reminds me like it's... Bob Dylan going to meet the the Beatles, but like way back in the day. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. you know it's probably pretty close. Like, I guess mm-hmm. I, I don't know much about that to be honest. Anyway, that was by Phoenix from 2009. I actually I have a very mostly hate hate relationship with Phoenix because there was a guy I worked with in a kitchen and he loved Phoenix. So every time he was around, I'd always be hearing that that song. But that. The one that was in the Cadillac commercial was it Fallin, Fallin? Or... 1901, their no. only other hit. Yeah, yeah, and it's just that that song drives me up a wall. It's it's, <laughs> it's so airy and and happy, and it's, it's like and all I can think of is Cadillacs, and it's, it just drives me nuts. I didn't mind Liz to Mania so much. So. Excellent. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Speaking of manias, um, one of the other games we got to play on Saturday, which has been sitting on the shelf for a long time and I've been waiting to try it is a game called Pictomania. Pictomania. Nice. That was pretty good. What? It's a song. Oh, you're a live song. music show? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Branching out. I think that counts as Canadian content. It's a cover right. song of a... Uh, Just play that little sound bite yeah. so every episode. Come. So, uh, Pictomania is a game by Master of Games, Vlada Chavatel, and it is... Uh, at first glance, you put it down on the table and people think it's telestrations because mm. you've got a dry erase board, you've handed out markers, and there are some cards that are out that indicate a bunch of subjects. And that's where the wheels come off the train. They go back to uh, our theme. Yeah. Wow. It's a bit like if Tarantino directed Bambi. <laughs> What's that from? Could you explain that? <laughs> Get into Just, a bit more... Vlada, yeah. Vlada is a brutal uh, game designer. I mean... Unforgiving. Has some fun games. But um, it's a cute 
It's a cute party game, right? Mm-hmm. It's a it's definitely a party game mm-hmm. with teeth, and I feel yeah, like we're coming. A... Be- that's becoming a theme these days. Yeah. Is that a lot of the, some of the more interesting party games aren't the ones that are as fluffy, like mm. where, like what do you meme or God forbid Cards Against Humanity, mm. but something that's actually a game that can be played in a party situation. And yeah. uh, so, Pictomania, the main uh, loop is that. So what happens is you deal out. Of, there's so there's this card. There's a display set up here with a bunch of cards and different subjects on them and unfortunately a lot of them all uh, kind of are very similar to each other i think yeah that's the the concept is you have your six categories yeah each of the categories has seven subjects you might pull one of those subjects but all of the subjects within the category are very similar mm-hmm. especially yeah. for someone who is trying to draw them very quickly like yeah. bow and crossbow bow, yes, and crossbow. bow and crossbow it looked like a bow to me I it looked it like <laughs> a crossbow to me <laughs> so right here you're getting a taste of it so what happens is everyone is randomly dealt uh two cards which indicate which of the cards they're going to be looking at and another card indicating what number uh, which was so it goes up to seven so you're going to pick one of those and you have to draw it so that's easy right mm. so there's more so everyone <laughs> else is doing the same thing and you've got a bunch of numbers uh, in your hand, so you're looking across it while John and Joel are drawing, and you're trying to see what they're drawing, and you want to be the first one down, or the second, or the third, whatever, because you get more points the earlier on the stack you are with the guess. Yeah. Um, you also get points for finishing or deciding you're finished. There are bonus points if you go to the middle, just like Galaxy Trucker style, to say stop, and you take something to get there mm-hmm. before someone else does. All this combines in this frantic race where you're drawing or not drawing, and you're trying to keep an eye on what everyone else is doing as they're doing the exact same thing to you and throwing down cards, and everyone's screaming at each other because, what have you drawn? Mm-hmm. And it looks way too it similar to something like else. Anything. It doesn't look like anything. And then <clears throat> at the end of the round, everyone, you, you stop your drawing. Uh, that's when the last bonus tile's been taken, and you flip them over, and you start resolving them from top to bottom. And if Based it's right, on who guessed first. Exactly, on who guessed first. So if they're correct, they get... The, the best, maximum points. Best points. You hand that out and so on. If they're wrong, you throw their card into the shame pile in the mm-hmm. center. And the cool thing is that if your card is the dominant color in the shame pile at the end of the round, you are the, considered the black sheep and the game You've punishes made the you. the most <laughs> terrible guesses. Yeah, you're the most incompetent. I like as well in that game, sort of touching on you were saying like it has teeth. It also punishes you if you, because basically to summarize what you're doing, what Jack what Jack just said there, to summarize the concept of the game, you are trying to quickly draw a very obscure item so that you can then quickly guess other people's quickly drawn obscure items and get points for guessing correctly as quickly as possible. Yeah. But the game punishes you if you draw something really terrible because you're drawing too fast and no one guesses correctly because if nobody guesses yours correctly, all of the points that you were supposed to give to them are now negative points for you. Actually, I think if nobody guesses yours, you don't get anything. I think oh, it's, right. yeah, it's that's just even neutral. worse, yeah. Yeah, but otherwise, it's like... If, if like you, one person... If one person guessed it, you drew something so poorly, and either and that only one a, person, they luckily got yeah. it, or just by fluke. And then all your unhanded out points yeah. become negative. Yeah. But if you, in case you haven't picked it up, there are a lot <laughs> of rules in this game. Yeah. There are more rules than a lot of medium strategy games. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, the book is decently sized, and if you make any mistakes... Uh, you will get no points, and they will be taken away from you. Yeah, yeah that's right. The very back page of the manual, there's a list of do's and don'ts, and the do's are fairly generous. 
uh, but the don'ts are are pretty strict as well. And then there's a giant thing at the bottom that says, "What happens if you break any of these rules?" And it's everything's there except I come to your house and kick your dog. It's, like, it's very very mean, and it's a party game. And I think for me, I, I, spoiler, I really like this. And mm. I thought what really made it special for me is that it's like Telestrations if Telestrations had teeth and an actual hard point to it. Telestrations yeah. is a yeah. party game. Pictomania is a party game. Yeah. And yeah. there is, what was neat is that Telestrations, whenever I was playing it. is a party trick. Yeah, it's a trick. It's, not it's a more, game. everyone's laughing the yeah. whole time. Everyone but, has a good time, but at the end, there's no clear winner or loser. No, no if you're playing Unless points you with Telestrations. Rules, but who no, does I, that? I wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah. But the thing that got me is that with Telestrations, when you're doing that drawing thing, everyone's going around, it's dead silent. Mm. Occasionally you'll get something when somebody passes something or they're freaking out, like, what am I supposed to do with this? But it's quiet. With Pictomania, people were talking the entire time, mm. and you still get that nice little resolution when at the end, people are trying to figure out what you actually drew, and everyone goes, what oh, is this? What is this? What is this? And then yeah. you say, no, it was actually uh, Dignity, <laughs> and yeah. everyone is... Dignity! And so, that's the other thing, is the, the game has four very oh, yeah. drastically different oh, difficulties. Did we try? We only tried three of them. We did the green cards, which I assume to be the easy ones. Green was easy. Orange was medium, but then you also threw out a purple at us at one point. So we went from easy to very hard. Insanely difficult. We're talking about, so let's, we'll give an example of like what we consider very difficult would be. So one of the cards was something like banker, investor, uh, mortgage. Uh, Stockbroker. Stockbroker and uh, a CEO, vice president. Owner. Like you, Owner, you show me how to draw those quickly <clears throat> and succinctly without putting any yeah. symbols setting down. It apart from so, the rest setting of them. it apart from the rest of them. And, uh, and to make it clear for anyone wondering what Jack was just saying, that would have been one of the cards. So all of those would have been one of the possible options for that subject. Yeah. If you were unlucky enough to draw that subject, and then you would have to draw one of those. Yeah. And that, that happened exactly, I believe, it was Mark who had owner. Nobody guessed owner despite his drawing <laughs> because... It was an angry-looking man holding money bags. With it the top hat. It could have been stockbroker. It could have been CEO. Any one of those. So. It was all of them. And I want to give a shout-out to John for... Uh, John and Joel, actually. So we'll say John's first. John drew a philosopher perfectly. Thank you. There was no ambiguity about what this character was. That, that is actually why I enjoyed this game as... Not to toot my own horn, but as a creative person and someone with a bit of artistic flair, yeah. that oh, was something well, well. that I always didn't enjoy about telestrations was telestration actually it rewards you to draw poorly because then it makes the game it's funnier funny, yeah. because no one knows what you drew so they make random definitions and yeah, it gets yeah, crazier yeah. in this game there's a reward for being able to draw things clearly mm -hmm. because then you get people guessing correctly and then you have less negative impact yeah, you're absolutely right. The and downside was I drew slower, so there is that that balance true. where like I didn't, I very rarely did I get top points for guessing because by the time I finished my drawing and got to the guessing stage, other people had already put out all. But of you their and tiles. Seth did extremely well. Seth did really. Seth, I think again, remarkably well. Shout out to <laughs> Seth. He is the hero of this week. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, but yeah, he he had a perfect balance, I guess, where he maybe it was a bit of luck, but the the subjects he had to draw he could very quickly draw very yeah. simplistic versions of it that got most people like i don't i don't think he rarely got everyone to guess it correctly but he got most of them well joel drew and an that, excellent ketchup bottle once too so don't forget that's about true yeah, the joel's ketchup. ketchup bottle was <laughs> it's pretty easy was, yeah. it was, one, it was one of those nice glass to bottles yeah. too it had like the, the screw on cap like oh, one I of those classic it. I tasted it. Mm. hunts yeah. oh man hunts get out of here <laughs> 
Anyway, so Pictomania, it would, I had a great time. I'm sad it took us this long to play it. Mm. But Vlad, I think, is... I haven't played the, the, the game with the chipmunk on the cover of it or the squirrel. Uh, I've heard that's not the best. But he's a family man now. Cut him some slack. Um, yeah. But I think it's difficult to say that any of his things are not interesting and good. Yeah. They may not be for every occasion, but the man is legendary for a reason. Um... There's a second edition of Pictomania out. I think Ooh. it changes some some mm. things there. I forget which rule. I'd be curious to see what they actually mix That's up. Somebody was complaining about something, but so far it felt pretty yeah, fine to me. Having played it, I found Except like there was nothing to complain about. Sponges. The, yeah, the, the production quality of the eraser and Kale didn't like poor. the boards too. She thinks they're cheap dry erase boards. She, mm. Could I couldn't be. figure that one that, out. Maybe that's part of why. Just maybe just need the oil Bring out your but, illustration but boards. Yeah, that's. Do it. you remember putting the game away though? How oh. how beautiful oh. that was. They got that go. nice like everything has dye a place. mold. Everything yeah. fits perfectly into a little slot. Yeah, lovely. and there's space for extra stuff. Expansions, was, maybe. Expansions, yeah, putting the, extra cards. The yeah. only other thing that was tricky about that game was finding a space that worked for everyone. True. Because you have sort of two two sets of six cards that you have to place yeah. somewhere that is visible to everyone, and we were playing in a circle, so that was a challenge. Yeah. Does it cap out at six players or something? It's uh, six players. Six players. Which is a decent amount, but it's not huge. But I think anything more gets would be insane. So it's not quite a party game. It's more of like a... Large have a, <clears throat> a light, maybe a warm up game, maybe a yeah, light yeah. game if you've got, mm -hmm. I mean, six or less. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe you could parlay it into something like with Panic on Wall Street and oh, uh, some other things yeah. just for that. But I guess the best way to describe it would be like Dixit meets Galaxy Trucker meets Codenames. That's that's what with I'm going to call with some Pictionary with some Pictionary with a layer of Pictionary wiped over the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so pick up a second edition if you're looking for and if you're tired of playing Pictionary or Telstrations is stale, but you like the drawing aspect and you like the shouting aspect. I really like it. I'm yeah. definitely going to keep this one in mind. I quite enjoyed it. Definitely Excellent. sold on it, and I want to say that. We played a lot of games yesterday. Yeah. And Jack definitely rolled in and stole the show oh, with Pixamania. I don't know about that. It was definitely the best game but... of the night. Uh, when I asked well, everybody else, that was everybody's favorite. Well, because yeah. it was probably the lightest and the, the cutest <laughs> yeah, of the bunch, the most social. But you played 10 out of 10 games, Chicago <laughs> Express, so whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, so moving on. Um, Recently in gaming news, there was a bit of a, and we're talking about electronic gaming here, th there was a bit of a, a kerfuffle because at, I think it was GDC, Game Development Conference, Google released or unveiled their foray into the uh, console market, which is a perfect example of someone saying, me too, because <laughs> they want a slice of that pie. Didn't Apple also do the exact same thing, but I think they're doing mobile gaming? I... Nobody cares. I, yeah, I don't know. I think they try. They're doing something. Everyone's trying to moving Apple's into doing it. everything. Yeah. So Google's uh, launch is something called Stadia, <clears throat> and it is going to be supposedly all cloud. And I'm going to let Joel go from here. Mm. Yeah. So I listened to a one-hour discussion on Google Stadia, so I'm fully qualified to Google answer all of your Stadia. questions. <laughs> Google Stadia. Google Stadia. Yeah. So Stadia. Google Stadia is basically uh, Google getting into <clears throat> the gaming market. Obviously, Microsoft and Google consider themselves direct competitors in a lot of things, hmm. and Microsoft has been fairly successful in their gaming with Xbox and. 
uh, Xbox Online, everything like that, and My sort of slowly Minecraft. moving into the cloud. Minecraft. Yeah. Minecraft. Minecraft, which obviously they didn't make. They just no, bought. Just paid a billion and a half dollars for it. Good made pickup. that back in spades, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So Google Stadia is sort of Google's uh, throwing down the gauntlet and saying, we're going to do it. We're going to make uh, cloud gaming a thing, and it's going to be us. Now, hmm. so the big questions are... <laughs> Is it true? Is Google Stadia really going to be the next big thing? Um, or we could take it a little further and say, is cloud gaming viable? And I think the second question is probably a lot more reasonable than the first. Google uh, is known for making big, ambitious projects and throwing them out. <laughs> There's a Joel linked to something called, was it, Google Graveyard? Yeah, Google Graveyard, I saw so that. 50 different programs yeah. uh, that Google has abandoned. Uh, abandoned including... Uh, you know, Jack's favorite uh, Google Hangouts is soon to be going the way that It's never going away. It'll always exist. We're just <laughs> Google, support I got it. an email recently about my Google Plus account that I hadn't looked at in five years getting deleted. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first time everyone heard of it, Google was oh, going to no. replace Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, they I'm not going to focus on Google as a company or what they're going to do, but I do want to talk to you guys about cloud gaming if we've got time. Um, I want to take a look at it from a wide focus and then get narrowed down to, you know, the actual gaming experience. Mm -hmm. So obviously, if you're thinking about the wide focus, there's things you got to think about. Uh, for plus sides, obviously, no hardware for consumers. You could use your smart TV. You could use a Chromecast. You could use anything with a Wi-Fi NIC and a screen, basically, uh, because all of the game is at the central headquarters, and all you need is a decent internet connection, hmm. jump on, Bam, you're playing the game. Mm -hmm. uh, here's another plus side. Uh, Backend updates and save states. So if you save the game, it's saved on the server end. You leave, you go over to your grandma's house or your buddy's <laughs> house, or <laughs> you got to go to the cabin or something. I want to play Sekiro uh, up at the cabin. And you decide you want to play again. You load up your smart TV there. You're <laughs> in the exact same spot. <laughs> Right, and there's no loading, and the the no loading is definitely something that people are are hmm. excited about because uh, think about what's one of the most frustrating things about a game release. Loading. You're talking about the preloading. It's full of bugs. Yeah. It's all buggy, and then they come up with a patch to fix the bugs, and you buy the game, and then you got to sit there and well, it downloads like the 3.7 gigabyte patch yeah. for your day one yeah, patches. Yeah. And you don't have to have any of that content on your machine because all of those updates will be done in the back end. They'll update the server. All you'll do is plug into it. Now, obviously, I'm sure you guys are thinking about, okay, so my connection has to be pristine <laughs> in order for this to work. Yeah. And that kind of gets into the narrow focus of the downside. But um, there's also some bigger issue questions like, who owns this game, right? We talk about Steam and how if you die, uh, no one else is going to be able to have access to all those thousands of dollars of games you yeah. <laughs> probably bought. Uh, those are just going to go back to Steam or disappear into nothing, Yeah. right? Well, I think technically with Steam, and I don't want to overstep here, but I'm pretty sure you're considered to be renting games at the end of the day. Yeah. I don't think you technically own anything you've purchased on Steam. You just have purchased a license to... Um, to play to play them and download them uh, as many times as you want but I, I don't want to go too far on that one I forget the exact rules on that yeah so obviously there's a ton of questions from developers and from mm. um, players as far as the legalities of what cloud gaming will look like I give you a quick rundown of the narrow focus and then we can just open it up to, to talk about whatever we want so obviously number one 
What about lag? Right. What about lag? <clears throat> well, even in the video they were showing, I think the latency was an issue. They were yeah. saying, no, no, latency is not a problem. <clears throat> and then it's like, okay, A, you're in, you're showing this from, where was GDC held? Like <clears throat> in the heart of California or somewhere with yeah. like incredible infrastructure. And all these Silicon Valley types are all thinking, yeah, my internet's fantastic. What, yeah, what your internet's not? You don't have fiber? Yeah. And, but even in, I'm pretty sure in their videos, looking at some of the stuff, it's like, there's noticeable latency issues when you're putting exactly. in especially playing something like let's say go back to Sekiro timing is super important you're saying you're going to stream that and be sitting there being off by half a second or yeah, which is work. extreme but whatever. which I mean obviously Netflix has shown that streaming video yeah. is viable will gaming be streamable is the next question basically right the infrastructure right. either needs to improve or people need to get better connections especially 4k That's 60 frames per second yeah i was gonna <laughs> Streaming bring that to 8k so, which Google? no one has ever heard of <laughs> yeah 8k 120 is that they say well, yeah that's, that's why interesting why i promise 16k at 240 frames <laughs> per second so just keep going yeah um by the way i don't also most servers barely have 1080p by the way if you're watching stuff on a tv that's 720p at best i think unless you're going up to Unless your box is doing something yeah. true HD. Final last two questions would be, what about resolution, you know, uh, screen size and mm. games being able to adapt to every screen size? And finally, um, cross-platform gaming. Cross Are they going to be able to uh, get on board? Are they going to be able to sign the important contracts with... Uh, Microsoft, who is a direct competitor, are you going to be able to play Halo on Google? Uh, <laughs> uh, they did get one uh, pretty decent-sized title. What was their big title that they've now got on board? I don't know. I, I'm just looking it up right now. Well, they even, games. They they've got Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah, there you go. They Doom got the Eternal. Creed that might be the one you're thinking of. And the Doom series. And then they've uh, hired Jade Raymond, famous for um, working at Ubisoft and developing mm. um, Beyond Good and Evil. And then I can't remember anything else that Jade has been up to. <laughs> Yeah. So let's let's imagine a world where none of the problems that are obviously going to come up come up. Yeah. Would you sign on? And this is the other thing: is is it going to be you buy the title and you play it forever like Steam, or is it going to be a subscription? Hundred percent, it'll be subscription. It's going to be subscription. That's subscription is the new cable. <laughs> That's what they're trying to do. You're basically yeah. we're basically rebuilding cable <clears throat> networks yeah. and in a uh, streaming world. In stream, yeah, where it's like. Okay, I'm canceling cable, but then I'm all right. I'm paying Netflix uh, twelve ninety nine a month. I'm paying Hulu mm -hmm. uh, another eight ninety nine a month. I'm paying blah blah blah. You're going to my Amazon Prime. Down. Amazon Prime. It's like oh, I've replaced Disney the, Plus. <laughs> Disney Plus. When that comes out, HBO. I think Netflix DC will be DC Universe. That's a thing. Yeah, DC made their own streaming service. Oh How? boy. How? <laughs> anyway, what do you think, Joel? What we let's say let's imagine a price point. So PlayStation Five is coming out uh, probably next year, two years down the road. I, it'll probably be they'll probably sell for four ninety nine or something. Yep. So it's half a K for this the brand new PlayStation. Um, let's say Stadia comes out. Would it, if they wanted to sell something for half the price of that? Would that make it super attractive to you, or does the whole idea behind this frighten you? I don't think Stadia should be looking into selling any pieces of hardware unless yeah, it's like unless as soon it's as like you said that, I was like, wait, Stadia comes out, but it's a it's a cloud based service. What are you buying? Well, you're maybe Just the, a the, piece the of special kind of like the Chromecast box or whatever yeah, it is. Secure to jump in or something yeah. like that. I even understand some kind of uh, two end security with a hard hard lined VPN mm -hmm. into their system, right? But uh, I think that they need to make it available on anything. Mm -hmm. and I, think I think that's, that's kind key. of their idea is that you could just have a smart TV. You could have a cell phone. 
yeah, mm-hmm. cell phone, yeah, and just play on anything. And that's that's really, I think, what's scaring the game developers because then they have to make their game work on, yeah. everything. on everything, right? I think all of us are on the same page in this, and that competition is good. It's yep. Steam has been around for so long. I don't and agree to that. John doesn't want. He's a, he's a monopoly. <laughs> But nobody wants one company to just languish. And I think Steam has been very greedy and lazy for a long time. And they provide a great service. I'm not saying they don't. But Epic Store has come along. It's kind of in a similar vein of this stuff. Origin. To, origin. Origin. Is that still around or is that dead and gone? I don't know. It's it's like it's face down in a pool somewhere. And people <laughs> are, it occasionally gives you something. Uh, but Epic has gone and done their own thing. But there's a lot of controversy about the how they're approaching the the entire uh, an endeavor. Uh, but the big thing is they're they're they taking a much smaller cut. I think it's like fifteen percent as opposed to Steam's thirty percent, which is gigantic. Wow! If you're a developer, uh, although I think thirty percent is only for the big guys. I could be mm. wrong. I think it scales based mm. on whether you're independent or not. But I don't know. More stuff. Release more stuff. Give us options as a consumer. More options. I'm all in favor of. But I don't have high hopes for this Google thing. I really think this is just they're blowing smoke. Yeah, but this is what I think. I think that uh, cloud gaming is something that's going to have to be looked at. And that Google is a good company to take take all that hard work, plug in, whether they succeed or fail, yeah. they're going to be they're open source, and people work. are going to yeah. jump on that and start doing it. Interesting. John, what do you think? Would you Is this something that would be up your alley? I'm a bit of an old-fashioned person when it <clears> comes <throat> to, to gaming. I actually I, I have a Nintendo Switch now, which is the first time oh. since Fancy I had a guy. PS2. All right, stop. A, what what game team. made you buy it? Uh, I got it actually as a gift for Christmas. Okay, but why do you uh, but want now it? Now I have it. I've I want to get Smash ultimately, um, but I have the Breath of the Wild game. Which okay, I, I know I'm two years behind. No one can fault you on that. But it's no. still their current system. So this is the first time since the PS2 I've had a current system. But I've always enjoyed the the physical media aspect of it. So I'm not, right. and I, I don't do a lot of computer gaming. So the whole like Steam situation, cloud based gaming, even with the PlayStation and seeing people like just buy it online or downloading right. games uh, with the Switch, I've I've bought the physical games rather than download, just because that's how I grew up with gaming. I never really <clears throat> changed course. And I think I think definitely cloud based gaming makes sense because that seems to be. The direction that the vast majority of people are hurt turning, but I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't fully take over the the market ever. Potentially, oh. I think I think there will always be that that following in that niche of people who would rather have the physical version. I like offline. That's a big one. <laughs> I don't want to always be connected, but anyway. Yeah. Music indicate end of show. Hmm. If music Stop play end now. show. Goodbye. I'm Jack. I'm Jonathan. I'm Joel. Thanks for listening. Keep listening to CFRU. Uh, if you want, sign We've a petition. Stickers. There are stickers floating around. You can get a bumper sticker that makes it hard to read what you're actually supposed to do. and will probably create a crash on the road. But anyway, thank you. <laughs> Support the station. Goodbye. <laughs>